Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to yet another conversation with uh, Long Time No See. I saw everyone all of one night ago, um, so welcome back to the conversation um we as promised have a great um conversation for you in, uh, in store for you today um and i'm gonna mix things up a little bit uh we're crazy like that we're gonna bring in david right away and he's gonna do the intro tonight because you know because it's not fair i get to hog it all the time here comes david hello yeah let's let's share the the workload a little That's bit it. Yeah. yeah i mean it's uh it's only fair right i mean geez I, we're all about fairness. Uh, that's yeah, that's going to be pretty. It's uh, it's pretty exciting to tonight. Uh, we have a guest that I had the opportunity to get to know uh, in the last few months, as he's been helping us at uh, Agra Studio with some supervision and helping as a creative consultant as well for what we have cooking in the lab. So that's been pretty exciting. Um, you know, Dave Mullins has been what I call personally the first wave of digital artists starting in the early 90s, uh, worked at uh, Digital Domain, Disney, Sony, and eventually joined Pixar at where he, he stayed for 20 years. Uh, here is, I have a little short list of some of, some of the project that he worked on. Monster Incorporated, Finding Nemo, The Incredible, One Man Band, Cars, Ratatouille, Up, on which he was the animation director, Cars 2, Brave, Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur, Cars 3, Coco, Lou, for which it was the writer and director, um, and also got a nomination at the Academy Award, and Incredibles 2 as animation supervisor, which at which <laughs> point, yeah, just, just to name a few, uh, <laughs> at which point he decided to, uh, you know, leave Pixar after 20 years, uh, explore, you know, New Horizon, developing his own project. I was uh, leaving the comfort of Pixar right before the pandemic. So I'm mm. sure that that was a, a great yeah. uh, timing for, for him. Bit of a um, when you say, hmm. yeah, I know there, there, there might be something there. I'm just saying. Um, and yeah, now developing his own project and uh, that some, some of the stuff that we're going to discuss uh, this evening. So that's, uh, it's pretty cool. I've, I've had the, the, the chance to chat with Dave a, a few times and he was always super insightful and entertaining. So let's, yeah, let's do this. I had the luxury of coming to one of you at one of the Agora town hall meetings and he was doing a bit of a, Kind of a, a retrospective on many little many little moments of his of his life and his career and it was very entertaining so i'm i'm, I'm very excited to see uh what uh, what he's got in store for us tonight let me bring him in mr mullins hello <laughs> man that's quite a list you made me feel very yeah. old as you were listening all that stuff yeah we're talking about you god glory that guy I'm pretty sure going through the list, you had like mental pictures of where you, you were at each yeah. each stage and be like, oh my God, this is like a fast forward of 20 years. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, th that's quite a resume. That's uh, that's for sure. 
yeah it's kind of it's kind of crazy yeah, as you're mentioning it you're just going through and you're just like it's like a nightmare flashing in front of you each single time like oh god that was hard oh god that was harder oh man that was brutal uh, but yeah. it, it, it's funny there's a we often say that you know the more you struggle on a, a production and when you struggle with others the the, the stronger the bonds are created with yeah. the, uh, the 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 team yeah. uh is that something that you found to to be true that you know after the the struggle you get out of it and maybe there's a little bit of nostalgic or rom romanticize a little bit the the past yeah i mean you know it's like Look, we've all worked for like, uh, you know, you've had a bad supervisor or director or boss or whatever. And, you know, people tend to bond under that. Um, you know, I had, you know, it's funny, like early on, I had my share, like before I got really to Pixar, there, there was my share of like working in, you know, animation, computer animation in the 90s. And everybody was finding their footing. Nobody really knew what they were doing. Every, you know, every it was just so new. Like there was a new achievement. Like every film, every show that came out, and um, you know, there's times where you just worked with people that didn't know what they're doing or just were not generally great people. They talked their way into those roles, and yeah, it's it's hard when when you're there. And then when she get into, I mean, I have to like I just have to give some love to to Agora because the community I've seen that you guys have built so far has been a really great place to be and you know being outside of Pixar for like a year and finding a community like this I really love it like everybody awesome. that I've met like the the talent level is really high people are really hard workers um, very talented and um, it's just been like a the thing that you've built here David you know it's been really amazing and it feels like home it's like there sort of was there was sort of like early Pixar days and that had a certain vibe and then there was you know the later Pixar days. Yeah, Angus McLean called it the golden years, and then we went into like the bronze years with silver <laughs> years, and was the bronze years. Then we got to the copper age. Oh geez. Right? <laughs> and then we went into like the iron age, and then we went to the full-on like you know uh, crusades, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we very much feel that we're still in our infancy of what we're uh, <laughs> doing here, but you know, it, it's reassuring to to have some. You know feedback that we might be going in the right direction so that's uh, yeah yeah that's definitely appreciated uh, um i'm just uh, curious because we briefly mentioned it if we go way back in the past in your first in the early 90s when you you started what yeah. what do you remember about being a cgi character animator or, or however we would call it in, in those days uh yeah. you know both on the creative and technical side what, what do you remember from this very early era of cg animation yeah i mean you know oh by the way it should be a disclaimer i swear a lot so <laughs> okay it's all good. if Bring you it. have a hard time with the word fuck um maybe this isn't the one for you. <laughs> uh, it's okay. There is plenty of channel on Twitch that they can go on if that's oh, a yeah. problem. Um, uh, Thunder in Paradise. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, a to the J. <laughs> that was my first show. Um, no, it's funny. Like, when I very yeah, – I'm going to go back a little bit before then. I want to spend a ton of time talking about it. But, like, in the 80s, like, I growing – I was a teenager in the 80s, like a kid in the 80s. And – like, you know, it was like Blade Runner was coming out, Star Wars was coming out, we had Raiders of the Lost Ark, Tron, um, all the great Schwarzenegger films, you know, Terminator, like ILM was really like getting off the ground. War Games came out with Matthew Broderick and oh, like, man. you want to play a game. And like, I remember seeing that film, War Games, like 
I begged my parents to get a TSR-80 color computer so I could, because I just wanted <laughs> a computer to do stuff. Because I was always like drawing, but I also liked coding, which was weird. So I came home from like war games and then I did like an 8-bit map, like in code of the United States and doing like little missiles going across. So that was like <laughs> kind of my, my like I was trying to do, the, well, I should say I was trying to do the missiles, but I couldn't quite get it to work because I didn't know how to do animation yet. And ever since, Dave has been on the watch list with the government. Ever since. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Homeland Security is uh, after me. But, uh, and then, like, the next thing I did, I was reading, I don't know if you guys know the Terry Brooks books, like El Stone of Shannara. Short of Shannara, yeah, yeah, of course. Of Amazing. Um, and I was so taken with that, you know, Tolkien, all things fantasy, sci-fi. I did, like, uh, I think my, my dad had gotten an IBM PC, and you could actually do pretty decent 8-bit animation on that. I did like the sword going across the screen and like swelling out the swords of Shannara, like all in like the script and stuff. It took me weeks to do. But that was like the first computer animation that I ever did. I didn't even know what I was doing. Like I didn't even know that that was a thing. It was just this thing that I was drawn to because I love computers and video games and stuff like that. And then so when it came, you know, uh, you know, I graduated high school in 89. I'm old. Um, but I went to, I just went, I just knew I wanted to do something with art. You know, I didn't even like, my parents were like, you'd be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm like, no, I'm going to be an artist. Fuck you. I was like a punk rocker. I had a fucking artist, nothing. I'll fucking leave. Right. And so my mom talked my dad into letting me go to art school. I got barely got accepted to Rhode Island school of design. And while I was there, I was studying painting. So I was a painting major, but Brown University was right next door. And so they had like, uh, I don't know if you know, um, Andy Van Dam, who actually wrote the book, C Computer Animation, uh, Computer Graphics. He wrote the book on computer graphics. He had a course there in Object Oriented Pascal. And while I was painting, I was taking these side courses at Brown University to learn Object Oriented Pascal. And it's just weird, like these two things kept on being present in my life, these things that I just, I liked. And then my um, my my roommate runs into our room. I think it was our sophomore or junior year or something like that. He's like, oh, my God, they've got a risk 6,000 down at the computing center. I'm like, what? what? I'm like, He's like, they made the abyss with it. I'm like, what? Holy shit. Like, I ran all the way down to the computing center. Where is it? Where is it? And, like, Hari Nair was, like, the head of the computing center. And I was like, I was like you have to show me it. You have to show me the thing. He's like, all right. He, gets out like in the drawer and he goes down and he pulls out this key and he goes over to a broom closet, <laughs> opens up this broom closet and in the dark, there's this refrigerator sitting in there with a monitor <laughs> on top of it. He's like, this is the risk 6,000. And so he goes over, you know, this thing starts up. It's like hot as fuck in there. And like, it's like five minutes to get the thing to boot and get alias 1.0 up. And he's like, okay. He's like, I was like, can you show show me what it does? Show me the thing. And so he brings up like the perspective view and alias, which is the precursor to, to Maya. And he brings up a wireframe sphere. And I was always like, already like, what the fuck? What is what is that? What is that? And then he hit quick render. They did the Tron like render. It just like flat shading. And I just went, Oh, oh, and my, I, I, to this day, I remember it felt like my brain blew out the back of my head. And I was like, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. This is the most amazing thing. I, like, it was freaking out. And from that 
day forward, I, that's it. I was just, I was going to make computer animated films. And, <laughs> did you, did you yeah. ever knew at this point that you could be paid to, to do 3D? Or it was not even in your radar. You just, I, I'm going to find a way. <laughs> well, it was funny. I actually, like, I actually talked IBM and Alias into paying me for, we had these winter session courses between each semester. They paid me just to make my own films on the Risk 6000. And I don't know how I got them to pay me, but I got them to pay me. And then my junior year, Hari Nair, who was the computer setting guy, he's like, oh, I've got a job. We've, we got a job. You want to do some computer animation? I was like, yeah. And so we went out to Newport, Rhode Island, at Pike Productions. These guys did movie trailers like, let's all go to the movie. Hey, let's get some soda. Hey, get some popcorn. You know, like that stuff. And so I got hired for this job. Now, Hari, this is the first interaction with the producer. Um, Hari took half the salary and never showed up. He just got me the job and took half my paycheck. So I was like, oh, that's a producer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I had to do this thing with like a film strip doing this thing. And I was using clusters and like we couldn't render it. We couldn't even watch it. We had to like copy it onto a DAT tape and then send it to Chicago because there's this guy that oh, DAT tapes. was able to like render it and then put it back on a DAT tape and we put it on and we go through and it just it came back and it was awful. Like it didn't render right. We didn't get the job, but that was like my first CG job was like giving half of my salary to Harvey Nyer. Who By the way, to translate this carbon uh, carbon dated conversation, uh, a DAT tape were like these little almost miniature little audio cassettes that were, mm -hmm. they were like weird, but they were thick, almost almost like a VHS tape. Like they were that. like the standard. Yeah, exactly. They okay, were, I got to kick it around here somewhere. Grant, now you have to explain what is a VHS and a tape. <laughs> oh yeah. I just, I just used a <laughs> bunch of other old VHS tech to describe. Tape was a, uh, yeah, oh, form of a video format. <laughs> 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 oh my god that, that was like sorry. let's send it to the render farm and it's yeah. going to come back yeah. by the mail like two weeks from from now yeah so yeah. where how where and how did you even learn to animate characters i, I taught myself um i mean I, I could show you guys my my student film it's it's fucking awful it's a it's a so i was able to make a desert with like a desert pattern on it and a moon and then there was a coat hanger that was walking through the desert and then a snake with a smiley face went through and then it just stops and then the coat hanger looks around and it's like, that's what I was able to do. I was able to extrude. That was my extent of my knowledge. And I was literally with the manual just trying to figure out this whole thing because nobody knew what it was. So I taught myself and my so I, so I talked, I talked to the illustrator, uh, what was his name? David McCauley who does the way things work. He was a, he was a, head of our um, of our illustration department. I talked him into letting me do my own project. And so I showed him my film film at the end of that. And um, he looked at it and he goes, I don't know, is, was this hard? I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like yeah, I mean, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. He's like, a B, I guess? <laughs> and that was like my final grade for, for school was just like, I don't know what this is. I don't. Like nobody knew what it was. It was just nobody was doing it. You know? <laughs> like all the people that got started early. I mean, Brent, you know this. It's like it's it just like it was like the Wild West. Like oh yeah, suddenly like oh my God, like oh yeah, Ireland wrote in sticky, and now they you know they can take the silver guy through the through yep. the through the bars, and it sticks behind like the fucking like like the all the metals like forming together. It was like it was like magic. It was like magic. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and it was. 
it was the gold rush because if you if you had the the appetite for for technology but also okay. happened to be creative you yeah. would be sucked into that volcano so quick mm -hmm. it was it was crazy yeah but it was hard i mean like i was applying to pixar i think i graduated in 93 and then i was applying i started applying to pixar in 93 and they didn't accept me until 2000 like it was I think I was, well, I was animating on Stuart Little in 99, and I got a call from Ginny Head, who was the head of the animation department, and she was like, hi, we'd like to offer you a job on um, to interview, or we'd like to offer you to interview for Bugs Life, our new movie that we're making. And I was like, oh, oh, God, oh, God, like, I have to do it, I have to do it. And I, I like I remember just like tearing up and going, oh, I want Stuart Little. And I, I signed a contract. And I can't, I can't do it. I can't. I just, I just like, I won't, I won't break a contract. You know, I'm just like that. And and then at the end of the conversation, I'm like, fuck it, I'll do it, I'll do it. She's like, no, no, it's okay, we'll call you back later. And I hung up. I was like, oh. everybody around me at Sony were just like, fuck it. <laughs> Dave's crying at grand. Yeah. So, like nose crying. Like, yeah. <laughs> so getting there, something that we've often uh, spoke about uh, about with other guests is the uh, uh, imposter syndrome that we yeah. all have to deal with. How, how much on a scale of ten was your imposter syndrome when you got to Pixar? Oh yeah, well when I got to Pixar. Um, <clears throat> Well, for me, it's a little different. I was a cocky little fucker, um, as I'm sure many of the people knew me in the 90s would say. I've grown up a lot since then. Uh, so the thing that was interesting was I thought I knew a lot more than I did. Um, and because, you know, when you I've taught myself, I've gotten these jobs at Digital Domain, I worked at Disney Feature Animation and Dream Quest Image, like all this stuff, you know, you... You, you like it's always like I can do it better. I know how to do it better, right? And you know, Pixar was always the place I was watching because they were. It wasn't just about like the effects or like oh they did a cool creature or, like they were actually telling stories. And that was like I was like like such a head scratcher. I'm like, what do you what do you what magic is that? Like how do you tell a story and I get excited and I cry and you know, all this stuff. And they hadn't even done a film yet. They were just doing those life service commercials and the. And the Listerine commercials. Um, so when I got there, and then the other thing I should let me preface it with this: I never lived in an area anywhere longer than about a year my entire life. So I was always moving. Hmm. So the thing that comes along with that is no consequences for your behavior. <laughs> and so I get to Pixar in 2000, and I immediately am like, "Oh my fucking god!" I first of all, these guys are doing it all wrong. <laughs> like, literally, of course I they are I got, a, I got a fight in my interview for Pixar they almost didn't hire me because one they said that um, <laughs> because I had like a 2D animator because I learned at Disney you know Tony Buccilli and guys like that taught me you know I did pose to pose then I broke down and I animated on ones no curves and because I worked that way, and Steve Hunter worked that way, who just did the, the short film out, he's one of my, my best friends, um, he he was rocking the boat so hard because we had come up under, like, Eamon Butler and some guys at, at, at Disney. So we animated in this very Disney way, and he was just rocking the boat at Pixar, and they were not happy with him. Um, and so they knew I animated like that. And so they <laughs> were happy. Listed. What's that? 
you got enlisted in their little coup. Uh, yeah, well, and I, you know, and and they, I didn't find out this out till years later. There's this huge debate of whether they were going to allow people with different animation styles to work at Pixar. Because uh, there's traditionalists who just layered, and that was the way you animate, and that's only good. Right. Mm -hmm. Or there's this other way. And so huh. I go into the interview, and it's like, I think I, it was three, it was four groups of four mm -hmm. people, and they were just they were just running me over the coals. Like, Jeannie Santos is like, so I hear you're friends with Steve Hunter, huh? I'm like, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what if I told you Steve Hunter was a shitty animator? I was like, hey, that's crazy, you're a fucking asshole, because he's a great animator, like, in my interview. In the next interview, it's like, um, <laughs> do I name names? But, um, so there's There was a senior animator there at the time who was no longer there, um, and he was like, oh, you know, uh, you know, the way you animate is stupid. Are you going to change your ways when you get here? I was like, I don't see why. My animation works great. And, like, in the lunch interview, I got in a fight with him. He's like, the way you work is fucking stupid. I'm like, it's not fucking stupid. You do this, it's about pose, it's about history, fucking, you know, illusion of life, fucking Walt, like, you know, going to the like, <laughs> like, I walked out and I'm like, I'm not getting hired. That was a bad thing. I didn't control myself. And they hired me. And, and then I got test. there, and pre what's presto now is Mindy. Like you couldn't click on the character, you couldn't click on the character and then move it, right? You had to, you had to go to the object list, yeah. click, 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 click down the, the hierarchy, find mm -hmm. the toe, yeah. go over to the MDT, which was just a spreadsheet. Yeah. Find the toe FB, click <laughs> on the frame, and then look up at your character and go, yeah. mouse over it and it would go, dink. Yeah, yeah. Oh, too much. Dink. You know, and it's Damn like. It. I was like, this is fucking stupid. So, like, I was screaming about that. And, like, I, Glenn McQueen at the time, he was just like, just shut the fuck up, kid. We know. We know. Shut the fuck up. Like, he was just, like, angry at me. And they almost fired me. But then Brad Bird came on to do The Incredibles. And basically what Brad did is he took – he made the Isle of Misfit Toys. He took all the people that were the fucking problem kids, Alan Barrolero, Steve Hunter – uh, Rick Sayer, like all these guys that were just like on the fringe of Pixar, like just bubbling and angry. And he brought us all together and we made the Incredibles together. And with that, I, like, I got, I don't know if you can see over there, all those things on my wall. I got a bunch of patents for like foot roll and like, you know, dressing, mm -hmm. all this other stuff. And we like, you know, there was a real big divide at, at Pixar at the time of how we were going to do things. And to, you know, to John's credit, he brought in Brad because he knew, and, and to Steve Jobs' credit, they brought in Brad because they knew they needed to, mm -hmm. yes, we've got some success right now, but we need to mix it up. We need to mm -hmm. keep pushing forward, and Brad Bird's going to be the guy to do it. And so mm -hmm. we were lucky in that Brad pulled us on and made us not such outcast toys anymore. And after The Incredibles, we actually kind of had a, a voice because the first realistic caricature the first caricatured humans that we did and it was a really fucking hard show but man you talk about pressure under fire and like bonding with people i mean these are still to this day are some of my best friends yeah so dave i'm curious because in between this 
infamous interview that ended up working for you and the moment that pixar decided you that you were going to be the adult in the room as the head of animation on up there's literally only five six years in between those two moments yeah, so what, what is the what did dave mullins did you to kind of be qualifiable of, of being the adult in the room and quickly just for fun just because it came up in chat i just wanted to make mention of it i find it i find it funny that there everyone in chat is now very nervous that they owe you a lot of money for all the foot rolling they've done <laughs> they're all like they're all like oh shit which one is it My there, you foot roll. there you go okay well we all owe dave a lot of money is there can we just can we just interact you the money or something like how much do we owe you well, okay, let's sidebar just for a second. Um, so point, like, of course, I didn't fucking invent football. I mean, I've been, doing nested, I've been doing nested hierarchies for years before that. It's just something that was in the industry. But what Pixar, DreamWorks, all these places were doing, which was really smart, is gobbling up all these things that we're doing in the industry and putting a patent on them. Because what happens is that what they, why the reason why they, Pixar has all these patents <clears throat> is because they're like. If we ever use something and it somebody else has the patent on mm. that, then we can go. Oh yeah, well we've got these twenty. Yeah, yeah. It's like this, like mutually assured destruction. Yeah. <laughs> so I got like, all these stupid. Like I got Squatch. Like I actually came up with the name Squatch, which was like squash and stretch control. This control. Squatch. I like that. Oh, it's really yeah. It's that's such a great control. But um, but it was like yeah, it was like sort of mutually assured uh, destruction. But so no, for the sidebar, I, I just thought it was funny. Somebody else smarter than me did. Mm. I had a patent on it. <laughs> Sorry, Dave, I, 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 I derailed. You had a question that was good. Um, I don't, I can't remember what it was, though. Yeah, in between that, oh, uh, yeah, the this interview oh, yeah. and the moment that this decided you to give you the key and be the adult in the room, what, what personal improvement did you do in, and, and how, how, did that, how did this happen? Well, it kind of goes back to your earlier question about, you know, did you have imposter syndrome? And, you know, the problem with me at that age, I think I was 27 by the time I got to Pixar. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And when I walked into, you know, yeah, there's all sorts of technical stuff with the, the code and, you know, and my methodology for animating, whatever. But the bigger thing was when I walked into that place and I saw people were performing and thinking about character and thinking about acting and the and the mature kind of also super entertaining and fun conversations about comedy. Like when I went into dailies and I started to see those conversations, I immediately realized how fucking out of my league I was. So like that was like going in, I thought I was like kind of awesome. And then you see, you then you get around people that are really good and you're like, oh, this th this is what this is why this is the place i get it now and that's why i stayed there for 20 years because honestly yeah. i was just surrounded by those people i was learning from every day so to get from the that guy that oh, i got so many fucking stories um <laughs> that i did uh i'll tell you about the time i broke the pool maybe <laughs> Of course. They got the hole in the wall. Uh, anyway, to get from that guy to like, they're going to bring me on as a as a directing animator. Um, that was actually, I think, 2007. I got that promotion, so I was there for seven years. And even at Pixar, when you're there for like 
the first three years, you just feel like you don't know how to fit in yet. It just takes a while to fit in because there's just kind of a flow to it. Everybody says that. Um, but every, the, every show that I was on, my, um, my decisions and sort of my behavior followed me. And for the first time in my life, I was around people that were going to start holding me accountable. And it's really at Pixar that these people who were amazing in those first 10 years, especially because they, they helped me become an adult. They helped me be think like an adult to treat people well and not think selfishly and, and to think about the, the team and the group and everybody. And so, you know, I very much wanted to lead. I've always wanted to be in that position and I enjoy it as stressful as it is. Um, but it was very hard to get into that lead position. And when Scott Clark finally offered well, so here's how it here's how it happened. Up, um, bunch of us were on the show in pre-production. I was doing Carl and a little. I think I was working on Russell too. Um, and as we were on the show, there's a bunch of us vying. You know, we're trying to prove ourselves to vie for the directing animator position. And when Scott Clark and Jim um, Murphy came to me, I'm like, oh, this is it. It's gonna happen. It's finally gonna happen. You know, like. It's, <laughs> super annoying like i want to be a lead like shut the fuck up Nobody wants to be, like be like more like maximus like you know please caesar no it can't be me that's why it must be you you know they want that from you you don't want it that's then we'll give it to you like, right. anyway so they come to me and then they're like we have a very special assignment for you I'm like oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's happening oh, look at me oh, special and they're like we want you to document our pre-production process and i went <laughs> <laughs> okay like i remember having the conversation in my head like don't say no don't say no don't be an asshole don't be an asshole just hear what the hear them out it's your boss hear them out and so i was like okay what do you mean they're like we you're really good at pre-production you're really good at working with models and getting characters to look great working with character department um we need you to somehow document that process so that we're not constantly doing these same drawings over and over again. Mm -hmm. We need some sort of history of how we do things. And I went, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I'm like, sounds great. That's awesome. Like, that's the first time <laughs> I'm like, awesome, let's do this. And so I got a patent for that, too, the rig one. <laughs> I designed this whole thing that we actually take the whole hierarchy of our characters <clears throat> into a web page. I worked with Rita Garcia and some other folks on it. And then we document. Like, this is how our mouth FB works. This is how we like to do volume preservation. These are the kind of controls. This is how we, like, you know, on a, you know, on the ILRs, or IUDs, we're going to actually fire in some eyelid LR when the when the eyes go back and forth. So it just gives it a little bit of movement. You know, it's just it's this brutal fucking 5,000 A-bars, you know, animation variables that you're documenting. And so I got a team. We got together. Mm -hmm. I built the whole thing. We had a, you know, it's a, it was a first pass of it while I was doing all this pre-production on, on Up. And because I did that and I did that job so well and I showed that I could lead a team, I could work with people and kind of motivate them on something that's not that fun. It's like eating vegetables. It's not really great, but you have to do it. I mean, I like vegetables, but um, then they said, okay, we're going to give you a chance, but dude, chill the fuck out. Because <laughs> I <laughs> you know, in a pain. I know I was a pain. I'm still a pain. Um, but that's kind of that was kind of the thing, and it was because I had people that 
saw that I loved the films first. I loved the art. It wasn't about me. It was about the films. And they helped me kind of develop as a person. And this is where I formed my strongest friends because I was actually with people for an extended amount of time. And I learned that like what you put forward into your community um, artistically or with friends or whatever is that's how you, you have to be a friend. You have to be a friend to have a friend. You have to help somebody to have them help you. And like you learn that and you kind of grow up, you know, some people are just born with that or they, they, they had that naturally. That's something I had to learn. So hmm. I was very really lucky that Pixar, the people at Pixar taught me that. I feel like you just described the, uh, the plot of Lou right there. That's interesting. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I agree. Look little, at that. A little guardian help. Well, yeah. So that's another story. <laughs> well, let, let, let's go there. Let's fast forward another 10 years or, okay. you know, how, whatever time it, it, it took. Uh, how much from your past did you, because you, you were the writer and director of, mm -hmm. of Lou. So how much mm -hmm. from your past and your own experience, basically what was the inspiration for the, the story and the uh, character and story development uh, on your side? Well, it's funny because like, okay, so I got directing animator on up in 2007, but I started drawing, I got my son and my son was born in 2003. My daughter was born in 2005 and I started coming up with this idea for the short, I'm actually developing into a series right now, um, that I started just drawing on the weekends. I think I took like uh, like a two week vacation and my wife let me just, I would take the baby during the day and then I would work all night. No, no, she would take the baby during the day and then I would work all night, but I'd have the kids there so she could sleep. And like we were doing this like, like tit for tat trade for like who could mm -hmm. take care of the kids because our kids are crazy. Nice. Um, and anyways, I started working on this short uh, called Naughty is about this family of beavers and these little beavers kids like are destroying their house and the dads like parents are trying to figure out like how to harness these kids and figures out he can use them as like power tools. To it's cute. Anyway, so I pitched that. I worked on that. I actually got it edited and I got very close to them making it like we got all the way through the development process. It was me. Angus McLean, um, I think Scott Morris had a short in there, and Teddy Newton. We all had shorts, and they're like, "Oh, they're gonna, they're gonna pick, they're gonna pick the shorts here." And one of the, you know, one or two of these are gonna get made. We're pretty sure yours is one of them. I was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" 2005, uh, Steve sold us to Disney. Everything changed, and like John's like, "We're reimagining everything. We're reimagining the shorts program." Da, 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 you know, and so all of our stuff, just all four of us, we just go. Pushed aside. I mean, Angus is directing a feature there now. Um, and so I just, like, Pete Doctor really liked the short. So he kept going back to me. He's like, dude, you should just freshen it up and pitch it again. Like, let's let's work on the story. And so every year I was trying to get this thing to work until I think it was like 2012 or I had pitched a bunch of different stuff. And then finally in 2012 or 2011, I like pitched. The last time I pitched beavers, which was like seven years of the like, we're fucking done with the beaver thing. And, <laughs> uh, I pitched this like pirate and mermaid idea. And then I pitched this idea about this playground guardian lost and found box thing. And John was like, that one's really interesting, but I want you to make a couple simple changes on it. Like 
initially Lou was this kid, he had been stealing everything and he'd just become a monster of toys. He was going around and stealing stuff. And this little girl showed him that like, oh, it's better to give than to, to, to steal. And as he gives everything away, there's a little kid underneath and it kind of reveals this kid, it was very sweet. And you know, the first comment John had was like, I hate the kid, I hate it. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, and as a really good executive producer does, and he's very good, um, all the other stuff aside, just talking about his talent as a filmmaker, very, very smart filmmaker, very, very, very talented. Um, he um, he said, get rid of the little kid and make it just the lost and found box. I went, oh, that's fucking good. So I went back, I rewrote it. I think I pitched it and three or four weeks later. And it's pretty much the story that it was that you saw today. Just mm -hmm. kid, this bully going around, he's stealing stuff from kids. Lou comes out, tries to get it back from him. There's a big fight. In the mm -hmm. end, he pulls out the kid's lost toy and it turns the kid's heart and he gives everything back. So um, the two things that, that, that John, I mean, John added a lot to it, but the two things was make it a lost and found box is the creature. And when he gives him away, make him give himself away. And those two ideas are like brilliant. It's like what makes the short. And so being a fledgling sort of director and writer, having uh, somebody like that that can help your story, not like try and make their version of your story, but help you make your story mm -hmm. was massive. It was huge. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of, you know, I owe John a lot. Um, yeah. And after that, directing it, was it what you expected? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Well, you were the director. You got to make all the decisions, right? Yeah. Everyone listened to everything you said. Yeah. No? What? Well, I had I had two executive producers. I had Jonathan P. Lassiter and I had uh, uh, P Peter Hans Doctor. So Pete Doctor and John Lassiter were two executive producers. And they had very different ideas of what the short should be. Uh, luckily, my idea kind of aligned with John, but there was kind of this battle over what my film should be and i ended up having to they shut me down twice like there was a moment where like my dad my dad had been like battling cancer for like eight years he passed away so i went you know to be with him and you know help my mom and do all this stuff and then the week i got back the day i got back Pete doctors in my office and he says i don't think we're gonna make you short Ooh. I do it my way and i went and it's another one of those moments, like when the rigway thing back there was like, don't fucking freak out. Don't fucking freak out. Don't fucking punch him. Don't freak out. I went, okay, what would you like to do? <laughs> you know, it's like you have this like rapid fire conversation in your head about what are you going to fucking do? Um, and so I went, okay, that's what, you know, my motto on the show was, I don't care what I have to do. I just have to get the film made. And I was making a lot of mistakes. I was, you know, there's so many things that I didn't know, but you're just put into such a fucking meat grinder over the story process. Um, and then to have two executive producers that are telling you to make two different stories. <laughs> I made the two stories at once. So I, I boarded and wrote, I wrote and boarded this version of it. I wrote and boarded with, with story artists that were great that I worked with and thank God for them. <laughs> um, and I wrote and boarded this other version um, which was Pete's version. And then we showed after about like six or eight weeks, whatever it was, I showed, we showed both versions to John and John ate 
Pete's lunch. He's like, what the fuck? Like literally in the screening room with all these people, I'm standing between the two of them sweating. Like, oh my God. <laughs> He's like, no, no, it's like good luck, you know, it's like bad luck black. You know, he's he he because what he wanted Pete wanted Lou to steal. He wanted the first version of the story that John didn't like, which was, oh, you know, Lou steals everything and then the kid teaches him how to give it back. John hated that from the very first beginning. So I knew this wasn't John never changes his mind. Never. It just if he doesn't like something, he's never gonna fucking change his mind. I just know the guy. He just he's got really good instincts. Anyways. So we made that first. He's like, he's like, it's like bad luck Blackie. He's like this bad guy. And then, you know, he's really fun because he's a bad guy. And, and John's like, the fucking dog gets punished at the end. Every time he coughs, the fucking house falls on him and a fucking bug falls on him. He's like tearing apart. He's like, it's a fucking revenge story. This isn't a revenge story. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like this. Two oh, titans. And so finally, I just take the film. To Jim Morris, who's the head of the studio, I go, Jim, you just look at the two versions of the film. I just, I really want to just make my version, which I made like a year and a half ago, but there's this other thing, and it's mom and dad are fighting, and it's so fucking awful. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get, you know, it's going to die, and beer would be awful, but my brother's not here, and it sucks, and this isn't happening, this is hell. And so he looked at them both, and he's like, yeah, just do the one you like. <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> And then there's there's more awful stories about other uh, you know, really high profile directors that came in and like battered me, like awful. <laughs> uh, but it teaches you to be kind of resilient because the, my gut on the thing was the story that I made, and I just had people coming at me. You know, a lot of people with really good intentions trying to help you on your film, but they're just coming at you fucking on. Dude, did you even think about this? Did you even think about it? Because like you know. In in India, you know, when you know, somebody takes a toy, there's I like what the fuck are you talking about? How do you think about that? Like leave me alone. I'm just trying to make my movie. <laughs> People with really good intentions are gonna come in and you as a director, you got all these voices in your head. And this is why I think directors end up being dicks to people is because they're just like, shut the fuck up. I'm just trying to get my thing on the screen. Yeah. And so to a certain extent, I understand that. I'll never be that type of person, but I understand that. At a certain point, you have to quiet the voices a little bit. Mm. Um, but uh, I like to collaborate. And I think it just taught me, like, just getting pummeled like that just taught me so much about filmmaking and what's important. It's character is important. Like, if somebody's watching it and you've shown it to three people and they're all pinging on the same thing, you can try and talk yourself into like, no, it's actually really good. It's not. Hmm. It's just not. You know, you have to listen to people's responses. So, so would you say that having a taste of going through the process, developing the character, the story, and all that was kind of a beginning of thinking of eventually maybe leaving the comfortableness of of Pixar and developing your your own project? Yeah, um, you know, you know, like. I'm just gonna back, just to talk about like writing and directing and how like learning that like it was funny because there's a lot of people like they would pitch and like get their fucking shorts made and boom they're off and running off to the races really good people I'm like I wish I could be that person I'm not but I had like Max Brace who was the head of story on Finding Dory when he heard that I got the the green light people probably heard some of these stories already but. Here they got the green light. I was like walking by his office in the story department. He's like, Dave! I'm like, what? Yo, what? <laughs> He's like, dude, how'd you do it? 
how'd you do it? I'm like, what, what do you mean? How'd I do it? He's like, he's like, you fucking, you kept pitching and they kept saying no. And you kept pitching and you kept saying, no. I was like, I pitched once. I had three ideas. They were awesome. They said, no, I was like, fuck you guys. I'm out. He's like, how did you do it? And I was like, well, you know, I never went to film school. I figure I'm learning from the best people in the world to teach me about film. And the truth of it, what it really boiled down to is when I wasn't boarding and writing, that's when I felt miserable. I would rather try and fail and be like, no, this doesn't work. And this is why and you need to figure this out and like figure out the story than not try. Because when I wasn't trying, that's when I got depressed. So mm. anyway, that was my film. Mm. So fast forward, I have all these, like after Lou, I'm like, I got all these fucking film ideas. I'm going to pitch them. And they're like, no, that's okay. No pitching. <laughs> I'm like, no more pitching. I'm like, uh, but I got these really cool ideas. No, you're good. <laughs> you know, like maybe you could direct in like 10 years, but no, you're good. And like, there's a lot more to that story that I'm not going to get into. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, you were, <laughs> I mean, with the confidence that and a little bit of the cockiness that was still maybe a little bit there, you, you were well aware that it was a pretty good short film that you been able to to pull off i really liked it the people that worked on it liked it and i mean you, you know getting the nomination kind of really solidifies that it's actually worthy yeah um, yeah so what would you say would, would be the, the, the was the final motivation of try to develop your 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 own project well after I mean, all this time and i was and i was developed you know i was writing You know, I, have, I was writing, I was working on writing screenwriting and scripts. Like I was teaching myself all that stuff, like reading every, you know, Robert McKee and every fucking book I could get my hands on talking to writers. That's my dog. Um, you know, I just knew that, you know, I want to make, I want to make cool sci-fi shit. I want to make cool fantasy stuff. I'm a dungeon master. I play D and D all the time. Like I, this is the stuff I want to make. So I just, you know, I watch so much stuff and I just go, there's the things that I want to see that I'm not seeing. So I want to make, mm. so that's, mm. you know, I knew, I think I knew like back in after college, like after doing those first few films like that, yeah, <laughs> nice crit. Um, the, <laughs> after making the first few films that I wanted to make a film, but I had no idea how to do it until I went through that process at Pixar. Well, I got tons of cool D&D &D ideas. I got series ideas. Fuck, man, this shit's so cool. I'm telling you. <laughs> Time to I've sit down and develop a Perry Brooks uh, series, obviously. <laughs> what's that? What's that? Term? I said it's obviously time to develop a Terry Brooks series, animated series. I mean, come on. They did it. Oh, they did it on sci-fi. They did? How did oh, I not know about this? He was <laughs> Apparently it didn't go over very well by the look of good. the look of, of dismay on your face. There's so much stuff we can do in D with D D. I mean, there's so many fucking stories out there. I mean, you know, from Greyhawk to like Waterdeep to you know. The, you know, the mad mage to like fucking lolf i mean there's just so many like who doesn't want to see fucking you know dritz jordan film like we have to see that fucking film like we gotta make that film so there's so many stories to tell everybody's just afraid of it because nobody's done it right yet yeah every dnd movie up to this point every single dnd property has been a fucking shit heap of awfulness and if you just get one Good D D movie. I swear to God, everybody's going to be like, "I'm so fucking sick of Marvel. It's going to D &D. If That's what's going to happen. I'm saying you think now. that you think that franchises like Lord of the Rings and and um, 
you know, and Game of Thrones would have paved the way a little bit as far as giving people an appetite. They just they act like it's a fucking fluke. It's like no, yeah. it's a good story, well told. Yeah, it's totally. going to do well, and like this is a genre that that people love. I don't know if you know this, but like for Game of, they've been talking about the metrics for Game of Thrones. I always go, oh, you know, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. This is just like you know, geeky, geeky, like middle-aged dudes like are into it. It's not. No. It's women. It transcends. Women yeah. Love Game of Thrones. It's like, yep. dude, there's a huge market out there. Not, it's not just us dorks. It's like yep. people that like this. Lord you know? of the Rings too. Same thing. A lot of yeah. a lot of women were really into it. <laughs> Ladies, let's do this. Be like uh, fantasy. Come on. <laughs> um, let's like let's talk a little bit about uh, story development because I know that's something that you're working uh, a lot on uh, now. Uh, I'm curious uh, on your side, uh, character versus plot. W which one do you usually start with? Do you start to mm. develop characters first and then figure out the story, or you kind of have a storyline in your head, but you know, just empty jar that you eventually develop afterwards? Um, it depends. Like the stuff that I come up with, is, <laughs> it's mostly dudes in this chat. I hope not. Um, it's usually a mix. Uh, I mean, what I usually, oh my God, my pickles is my dog and he's freaking out right now. Hold on. I'm just give me no, one. Second no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier, it sounded like he made some sort of like, it almost sounded like um, his dog was having a Carl moment. Like I can, it sounded like he, Carl from uh, from Up, because you know he had mm. like that little talking collar or whatever. Yeah. It, like I heard his dog in the background, but it didn't sound like a dog. It sounded like someone going, "Hey, hey, hey!" And he's like, oh, "That's my dog." I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> Amazing. Somehow it seems that you keep on touching your your eyes, which I didn't notice. It's it's oh, Van Animator I, that keeps on reminding if you. If your eye was a throbbing mess, you'd touch it too. So, thanks a lot, Mom, aka Scott. <laughs> I'll try my very best. Unbelievable. <laughs> Tabitha, I'm not a dude. <laughs> Thank you, Tabitha. And, and Tabitha likes fantasy. That's there you good. go. There she's she is she's the winning side of that demographic. I like yeah. it. Um, no, I just mentioned that because I think people have pre preconceived notions about that genre and who likes it, and I think it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, But, okay, so character plot. Um, it depends. Um, so I'm working on a property right now uh, that is two books, uh, 15-minute animated short, and um, I'm working with a creator on it. We're co-directing it. And what's great about the, the person that I'm partnering, I can't really, I'm not going to talk details about it, but the person I'm partnering with is not, um doesn't come from animation he's actually a rock star <laughs> anyway uh he partnered with like a with a like a um new york times bestselling author and they wrote these books and what's great about him is that he understands that though he created a very cool compelling world the characters in it are he's never fully satisfied with it so as we've started this development process with the writer And this is very irritating for writers. Like writers just want to be launched, go write the thing, give you the thing, get paid, uh, <laughs> get the notes, and then get paid for the rewrite. And we're not doing that. You know, we're like, no, we're 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 actually doing character development here. We are 
going to talk about these characters ad nauseum. We're going to find out what's at the core of the characters, like we do at Pixar. Um, we're going to talk about what motivates them. We're going to make sure, you know, like, for example, like the film, like the story didn't, do you guys know what the Bechtel test is? It didn't pass the Bechtel test. You know what the Bechtel test is? I don't know what that Bechtel, is. The Bechtel test is very simple. So to find out if your, your story is fucking sexist or not. Like, one, does it have a female character? Two, does that female character talk? Three, does that female character talk about somebody other than the main character that is male? Four, are there two female characters in the scene? Five, do the two female characters in the scene talk about anything else other than a male character? Like, it goes, just goes down the list, and you look at so many films that we've made up to this point, and like, oh man, they all fail at that. Fucking arm candy. And like, mm. this story has this great character. What could be a great character is going to be a great character in it. And she's like this sexy love interest. I'm like, we're absolutely not doing that. I mean, this character, she needs to have her own fucking story completely separate of our, of our main character. And when they meet, she wants nothing to fucking do with this guy. And if we do this right, she's going to end up having her own story and go off on her own thing. And we'll have a, well, you know, because it's planned as a trilogy, but we also mm -hmm. want to take her and, and send her off on her way. So it's like just like trying. So you start with character. You you make sure that your characters are believable. They have their own motivations and drives. That, that the things that they're they're doing and acting aren't flat. You know, when you read something, it's like, oh god, it's so fucking generic and flat. It's usually because it's not specific and nobody's really thought about that character and who they are. I mean, I'm telling her, I'm asking our, our writer right now. We put this huge sheet together, this profile, and we have to fill everything out. I mean, we're talking from things that are physical, like height, uh, race, um, you know, so, you know, sexual preference, to what are their, you know, to character worksheets, like what are their biggest fears, what's their biggest accomplishment, how do they feel about their family, and we, you know, a lot of times writers look at this and they go, oh my god, this is such a fucking trudge. But as you start getting through it. And you really start getting specific about it, and then your themes start to come out of it. You start going, okay, but the, how does that play into the person's theme? Because our, our main character, this world kind of de deals with fear, and it's like, how is this main character confronting the fear, and how is how do we build that character uh, to make to make him interesting in a way that's not just like, oh, I'm just afraid of stuff, you know? So mm. me, I always start with character, plot. I don't fucking care about. Plot's going to come out of character, so let's work. Let's work on like yes, have the world, but plot is, you know, in the order of importance, like ten, because <laughs> like it should just be able to change based off of what your characters are doing. So, yeah, that's, that's super I, interesting. That's very interesting because I, I, my assumption is that most people will think that it's the other way around. You you have a story and then. Mm -hmm. You put characters that are basically serving the purpose of having this story uh, uh, evolved, but that's that's super interesting. Well, uh, we, have, yeah. I mean, there are different approaches to it. I think that most, when you look at most films, I think that's where most films start. They start with plot, and that's why most films suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, if you get a film like um, like Blue Ruin or something, or like you know, like I like this director. Um, Oh God, I forgot his name. The guy that did Blue Ruin and Green Room, um, Malcolm. 
Uh, oh, fuck, I forget what his name is. Anyways, it's all about character in these really, really great small films. Um, you should check them out. Yeah. It's funny because, I mean, all movies have plots, but yeah. the good ones really aren't about the plot at all. Plot is just, yeah. it's, you know, it's just a, the path the characters kind of take. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's characters are always yeah. at the center of that. Like, that's why people want to watch a movie is because they're interested in the characters, usually, usually. Yeah. That's well, usually... That's usually what you remember as well. The the, yeah. the, the, the character is more than the story itself. Always. Always. I mean when you talk when somebody tells you the story of Star Wars, do, do they tell you like like um, oh there's this kid and he's on this planet and he really wants to be he really wants to get off the planet and not be a farmer? No, they talk about like, oh my god, there's Luke and he's you know, his father is like the you know, the the worst guy in the universe and he's killing everybody, but he's got this force and like it's like that stuff more is more character to me. Like the way he gets, like we, we actually use Luke as a as a comp for for this character because it's like the way Luke gets drawn into the story, the way he, you know, I just want to go to, I just need to go to Tasha Station to get some power converters. Like, <laughs> you know, the whole he's such a whiny character in the beginning, and yeah. though he wants to get out into the world and he hates being a farmer, it's not until his aunt and uncle are killed that he is forced into this bigger conflict you know yeah and you know the lust for his sister of course yeah reluctantly like there's a there's like that reluctant hero thing going on right yeah yeah, yeah. It's always uh, yeah. we're often trying to keep a little bit of time for uh, a question from from chat but before we do i definitely have want to have your your views on uh you know where the industry is going uh both in terms of production distribution because you know it is changing very fast it changed a lot in the past 10 years and i'm only assuming it's going to change even more in the next uh 10 years so production distribution how where do you see us being in 10 5 10 years uh from today it's a good question because hollywood's in a free fall right now like they netflix has disrupted everything furthermore coronavirus covid has come in and cemented streaming as the main revenue that people are making right now it's not every deal that actors made before a year ago was all based off a of box office this is why like scarlett johansson's so pissed about her deal with black widow is because you know some people look at oh she just wants more money it's like no she is fighting for her rights as an artist because her income rightly so because the way that she people go to see her films her income is based off of box office sales. Yep. Disney and Marvel did is they took her income away from her because Netflix, Disney Plus, all those guys, they hide their revenue. They don't, yep. they don't show what's mm. going on behind the scenes. And that's all so that they can keep money. I'm sorry, Absolutely. Disney, you guys, whatever. But they hide all their metrics and all their numbers because they don't have to pay the artist as part yeah. of it. Yeah, they don't want to have that awkward conversation about like, okay, so this movie didn't do very well, so they're not going to pay the artist. But meanwhile, they're still making billions of dollars. Like, it's like that's an awkward conversation to have, right? Yep. So and it's it's hard because it's not like this. A lot of times, it's not like this movie made this because it's a, a subscription service. But you can easily see how long somebody sat to watch a movie, how many people yeah. clicked on it, and yep, you can yep. make a metric based off of that. Of course, yeah. none of, of them course. are willing to share it. Yeah. yeah, and so I think she's very right in fighting for her rights to say, "Look, I need to know how much of the portion of your subscription for those months 
came from Black Widow, and I want my piece of that. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. And do do you see this? How do you this see this this trend uh, evolved and uh, actually impact how production are going to be both finance and, and the production side of it because with what everyone discovered with COVID, it, there was already a trend with remote work, but this is now more than a trend. It's going to become the norm that the, the majority of the people are going to expect at least some of the time to be able to work remotely. And all the studio that will not provide this privilege are going to be you know, penalized for not doing it. Yeah, I think I think places like Pixar and Disney are going to get away with it um, yeah. because so much of it is about the experience in the screening room. Um, so much of it's about that experience of having everybody together in, in, in there. You know, we've been doing, you know, we've, we've been working on the short at Agora and we've had a great experience doing it, but this is a small team. I think it mm -hmm. works really well for a small team. When you have a team of, like we were doing Doug Days, I was working on that. So the last thing I did before I left Pixar. And, you know, we had 40 people in a Zoom meeting. It's, I just checked out, you know? And if you have a big crew, I think you need to get, I think you're better off getting people together. Yeah. But as far as the way, I think it's really unclear on, on how it's gonna affect the industry because the way that our work is being monetized is very hidden right now, like I was saying before. and so. You look at like Netflix has greenlit a thousand projects and lucky for people like us, there's not a thousand studios to do the work. So that really provides a lot of work for us in our industry. Um, so I think there'll be more work for us. I think there'll be other ways of doing distribution. I think a 30, you know, I think like $15 million, $25 million films are maybe going to become more common. You know, uh, Netflix is, Price of entry is about 40 million. Like that's where they want to kind of keep their newbies. And then like, you know, like the Glen Keens and stuff like that, they go up to like 75 and higher. But the, you know, the age of $150 million film budgets, nobody has to do that anymore. I, I just, I, it's just really inefficient. Like, dude, yeah. I can't even tell you how much money they spent on the good I mean, you would fucking cry. <laughs> I mean, how much money they spent on what? The Good Dinosaur. Oh, you literally could have made six films for the Wow, really? Wow. And you know, it, it, it wasn't bad, but it, it's definitely not one of Pixar's classic movie. Yeah, sure. was, I don't want to speak negatively about it, and certainly not about uh, Pete Soames, a fucking amazing artist and, and, and human being. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think we're in for a change. I think it's good because I think there are gonna be opportunities for smaller studios. To do work and then i think you know the big studios are going to still do what they do but places like us we're going to be able to do stuff that we weren't able to do before because look sex death and robot shows whatever you think about it there is an appetite for that type of stuff there's more of an appetite for anime now than there is yeah. for american animation yeah kids, you know so yeah yeah a lot yeah. of the, the sort of the niche and sort yeah. of fringe um you know types of of um uh, you know, uh, whatever subject matters are now actually getting like some, you know, and it's not just for good for this to the studios. It's also good for the audiences, audiences yeah. that, that have been really craving these more fringe like things now suddenly are being made. Like you take a look at like a show, like, uh, the, the like invincible, right? Like, yeah. 
this show it's like based on a robert kirkman uh, you know you know uh, comic and <laughs> oh yeah oh, yeah i got my i moved mine my bookcase isn't in here sure. anymore but it's like a great story but yeah. i just i don't think that that would have been made years ago i just don't think and not to that level of quality at least that's yeah. for sure yeah. and so like now it's like it's like these these fans on all these little corners of the world that have these yeah. great books and good comic books that they've always dreamt of being a, an actual show or a movie that yeah. that could happen now it's like actually happening which is yeah. great well and, and furthermore i mean the stuff that i'm trying to do with the studio i'm trying to get off the, the ground with my, my partner right now um you know we're looking at you know it's really weird coming from animation we're looking at performance capture and unreal engine like performance mm -hmm. capture for the front end um actually being able to reshoot live in editorial um and doing unreal engine in the back end hmm. a lot of stuff's going in that way in that direction right now you know the mandalorian i know they sell like we did it 100 percent like that like they didn't it's like there was a lot of like traditional cg work to get that thing done but it is sure. going in that direction supposedly unreal 5 is really a tool that's going to kind of change how we're oh, yeah. it's not just for games it's like they're they're trying Everything. to take out maya basically yeah. oh yeah oh yeah i just gotta start jamming yeah. Yeah. It, if you're able to get your hand on a good graphic card, which is not <laughs> easy these days. <laughs> Dude, a 3090. I one of the guys I'm working with, he just got three 3090s. I was like, how the fuck did you do that? That's insane. And he's just keeping them. Oh for, yeah, for sure. You know, just taunting everybody with them. Bragging rights. Frying eggs on top of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um all right, let's maybe Brett. What do you think? Should we go with? Uh, yeah, sure. A question we got from a bunch, from the chat. Yeah, we got a bunch piling up there. I'll look for some cues. Actually, I'll... as as we leave a little bit of time for people to uh, send some of their uh, question, I have an interesting one that we were asked yesterday, and I'd be very interested to have your perspective because every Tuesday evening we do just one hour of Q and A session, and basically people ask you know whatever it us with any question. And that was one that was very interesting. Um, and five I would... sorry, <laughs> five, five foot eleven. How did he know? How did he know? Five Damn it! <laughs> sorry, that's much, that's much higher than I expected. Uh... <gasps> oh, shots fired! Shots have been fired. Dave, there we go. Mind. You and want to end this conversation, right? Brent, really cool. Brent, you know, it's close to my bedtime, so this is when <laughs> I'm it. becoming it. He gets a little twitchy around this time. You, gotta, you have to forgive <laughs> Dave. He's, uh, he gets a little, watch out. It's a little catty. <laughs> He'll scratch your eyes out. So, Dave Mullins, what advice would you have? So, for an animator that is, you know, quite happy with his shot, he shows it to his, uh, is following the direction from the director, shows oh it to his lead. His lead is asking him, nah, do this instead. And he rel reluctantly do it, go in dailies. And the director basically said, no, this is not at all what I wanted. And what he described that he wants is exactly what the animator had in the first place, assuming that the lead is, you know, not raising his voice to say, oh, by the way, it was my, uh, my call. Uh, how, how should one react in, in this uh, reaction? <laughs> what would be the proper way to deal with this situation? Wait, wait, wait. But if you're going to answer this, I want to hear the inner dialogue first. That's I, it's very important because that, <laughs> oh, that, that, that's I, I entertaining for us all. Dialogue. I give you all inner dialogue. <laughs> um, you know, if, if it's me, uh, I would have just been, yeah, that's what I had. Here's the clip. <laughs> I got like that's exactly what I had before I, I I mean I probably wouldn't call the person out I try to be a little more smooth than that unless they're a total dick and then just fucking railroad them 
<laughs> uh, they're going to make your life miserable either way. So just get on the good graces with the director. Um, <laughs> no, I would, you know, if I had a shot and I had the directing animator ask me to change it and do something the director did, that sucks. I mean, first you need to probably talk to somebody more senior there and like let them know what's going on. Say this person's an asshat. Like that's like, is the worst thing you could do. But I would um, so practically, I would have the shot ready to go. And if they say no, I want this thing, you go. Oh, I had that version before. Let me go ahead and show this to you. And they're eventually going to say, well, "Why didn't you show this?" And then that's when you don't say anything and you just turn to the supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where you speak up. Yeah. <laughs> you, look, if you any of you guys are supervising and you make a comment or a change to a shot that a director does not like, you better fucking own up to it. You better like you better interrupt the person to own up to it and say, you know what? This person had this before. That that's my fault. I'm sorry. Always own up to that. Don't yeah, own right. up to the, like if something like somebody did something cool, like, oh I see oh I suggested that. You don't do that either. But whenever there's a mistake uh and the, and the director doesn't like it, it's your suggestion, you own it. Or you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be supervising. Get the fuck out. That was yeah. cool. Words of wisdom. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't be. We we often say don't be a dick, but I think we should upgrade yeah. that to don't be a piece of shit. I like that. Or and then on the back, it say it could say or a dick. Don't be either one of those things. <laughs> okay, I got a question here. Um, so this is a bit specific with regards to uh, the because obviously people picked up on uh, it was pitched a number of times. Yeah. Approximately how many times do you think you pitched this thing before it actually got greenlit? Yeah, Lou was the least was the was the least. Like I pitched the Beaver oh, yeah. thing like seven times. Lou, I pitched twice. Okay. I had oh. the initial pitch. I made the changes that John kind of kind of asked for. And then on the second pitch, well, he, and here's the thing that I did that really did it was my wife, Lisa, is a, um, a stop motion animator. And I had her actually build the maquette of Lou. So she actually built with armature where you can smart the eyes and the mouth and everything. So what happened was on the second pitch, the one that I got Greenland on, um, I put the maquette of Lou, like life-size maquette, with in it. I put a white sheet over it. I brought John and, and Pete and everybody in. And I could see, like, right away, they went like this and, like, looked over the thing. I'm like, your attention over here, please. And then I walked through like, all the art that I did. I love it. All the changes. like, And I, I pitched the whole film <laughs> through the boards. And the whole time, they're, like, they're, like, they're, like, looking – here, but they they like their eyes are still over on the like, I'm like oh, oh, I fucking got you. Like yeah. got you. And so after the pitch, I go, and I'd like to show you. Woof. And I pulled off the thing and they went, ah! and they had like they had the air on chairs and they like scooch over to, to <laughs> and scooch across literally in their in their chairs. I'm like, you can move the eyes. Like, look, you can make them angry if you just turn the baseballs over. Ah! And then like it was so funny with it. So Twice is the answer. <laughs> I think it's I think it's funny from that day forward you were known as the legend who got them to scooch. You know? <laughs> Dave, Dave actually got John to get to scooch. It actually happened, I swear to God. Say what you want, but I got John Lasseter to scooch. Yes, that's right. That's right. Claim to fame. Nice job. My last it would be my rosebud. Scooch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got another one. 
All right. What advice would you give to women who would like to direct a big budget film or show one day? Um, I don't want to give any advice to women because like, they are perfect the way they are. <laughs> well, <clear. laughs> uh, no, that's, that's stupid. Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's probably the same advice I'd, I'd give to anyone. Um, you know, what's, what's good is there is a, there is a swing uh, happening in our industry right now, which is trying to correct a lot of wrongs that have happened for a long time. There's been a lot of bad behavior. There's been a lot of um, very myopic casting. Um, and I think it's a great time for women and minorities. Um, they're being invited into circles that they weren't before. And, yeah. you know, I think that the pendulum swinging that way is such a good thing. Um, so I think that, but I would, so I feel like that provide, can provide some opportunity. I'm not saying it provides everybody opportunity. Um, but what I would say, I mean, to direct a big budget film, I mean, are you saying you want to start by directing a big budget film? I don't know of anybody that really pulls that off. I would say, um, <laughs> if you want to eventually do what I'm doing, which is start small with show you can do it you can run crews and you have responsibilities you have story chops make a short film show what you can do there and then get interest based off of that and so like for a while after lou i was like interviewing it like i still am but like you know dreamworks to direct and you know illumination and you know all these big companies they're never they're never going to hire me right out of the bat because all i've done is a short um, they want people that have directed features because there's a lot of money writing on the line. So what I, my, my, my advice would be is to build your way up to that. And every time that you create a calling card for yourself, like Lou is a calling card for me. I'm forever known for that. I knew that when I was trying to make it, that I just had to get it made because if it's made, it's forever my calling card, my first calling card. So I would say just start small. And I mean, always be writing, write your scripts, pitch your scripts, do all that, but make something that is really amazing and start small because even doing the small stuff for most of us is fucking brutally hard. So I would say it's it's like it's like a, like you're building a house and you're trying, you have to start with the, like you can't start with the roof. You have to start with the foundation. And I would say, get your chops up, show you know what you're doing. Maybe you'll get lucky and you'll be able to do it. But if you go into a big budget film and you've never done that before, it will be the most stressful time of your entire life, I guarantee you. So do yourself a favor and just build up to that point. Does that hmm. make sense or help? Yeah. Yeah, like stepping stones, right? Like yeah. it's uh, it's kind of it's it's difficult. It's 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 a kind of it's a big question, right? It's like it's uh, how do you answer that? Because I mean, it's how can anyone just jump in and start directing a big budget film or show? It's like first you got to be in the industry. Second, yeah. you got to start making right alliances and the right relationships. Third, yeah. you need to be, you know, like you said, build start building some calling cards, starting out with smaller ones, and then eventually hopefully you get to the point where you're going to get a shot at the big, the big show. But um, yeah. Yeah. yeah like the, all the work that I'm doing right now, which is I'm developing films and series and stuff like that. If I hadn't worked my way up to this, I would be having a heart attack because there's so <laughs> much to know. 
Yeah. And there, there's some people that do step into those roles. I mean, there's, you know, look, we all get the Instagram fucking stories of the person. I just got my show greenlit at fucking Netflix. And how many of those shows are your favorite shows? So are yeah. you trying to make a show or are you trying to make the best fucking show you possibly can that's going to stick with people? Mm -hmm. um, and I just, for me, it's a process of building up to that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. Most, and I'm sorry, this is the last thing I said, but the, the most stressed okay. I've ever been was directing that short for the first time. I thought every day I was going to have a fucking heart attack. Well, oh. you had like suddenly you're in a position where you're supposed to have all the answers, right? Like all of yeah. them. Yeah, I would say it really depends if this question is coming from someone that is already directing yeah, and wondering, can I get to this next level? Or someone that is fantasizing about uh, directing yeah. big budget uh, film. Because yeah. uh, I know actually a few directors that that tried it and were like, yeah, this is not at all what I expected. <laughs> this is not what I want to do. Uh, I am actually realized that I really like writing or I really like editing or I really like... Uh, you know, or animation or whatever it is, but being the conductor of yeah. telling everyone what to do, but not really do anything myself. And it, this can be frustrating uh, uh, as well, because it kind of feels that you have like box club at times and you're like, you're more a, you know, you're a communi communicator more than anything. You need to yeah. spread your ideas in everyone's yeah. mind to kind yeah. of, you know, control the, 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 the masses. And, it's not so just make sure that your motivation are right, that you're someone that really likes the medium of film or cinema to tell a story and you would like to do it at scale uh, <laughs> because that's kind of the essence of uh, what it is and to deal with a lot of people and thousands of questions on yep. a daily basis and have the energy to grind forward and not be miserable as you it's, do it. It's like yeah, less. Oh, go ahead, Dave. No, oh, I was just going to say the other thing you should definitely do as you're you're on that that path and that journey, surround yourself with people that will be honest with you and then that you trust. Surround yourself not with friends that are going to glad hand you. Surround yourself with your friends that will challenge you and help you make your film better. Um, there's so many people that will try and help you in different ways and they'll really sideline you. Mm. Uh, just make sure that the, the people that you're coming up with I'm at a point in my career where the people I'm working with is more, is more important than the project itself, to be honest. Like I want to work with the right people because all these projects are hard. And if you're working mm. with the wrong people, it's fucking miserable. Oh, yeah. It's funny. It kind of reminds me of something that we had a couple of weeks. When you start, you think, oh, I really want to work at that studio or that studio. Then you grow eventually and you're more like, no, I want to work on this kind of project and this kind of project. And eventually it gets to, well, I want to work with this kind of people. Yeah. This is the kind of people I want to work, I get surrounded want to work with. I with Sarah again. She's such a good editor. God damn it. You know? Yeah. Makes but it's sense. true. Okay. Um, just to really quickly touch on too, because there's this the other dimension to this question, of course, is the um, the elephant in the room being that the I think the perception obviously is, and you touched on this a bit, Dave, is is that um, you know, historically this has been a bit, a bit of an inaccessible um, job for specifically uh, women, um, mm -hmm. and it, it's nice to see that. Um, you know, finally, there's been a little bit of swinging in the in the in the other direction to allow for mm -hmm. some correction in that particular area. So there's never been a better time than to kind of try to step up to bat and start laying down that foundation because maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel now thankfully it would really feel pretty shitty because i mean the 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 
what, no matter what way you look at it, we're going to take gender out of the equation. It's a long road. And yeah. I think a long road is a lot more difficult to walk when you don't see literally any chance of success at the it's end. Catherine Bigelow and who else? Like, yeah, yeah, know, exactly. Like, like, For real. Like the list is small. You know, and yep, it's, totally. been, it's been geared against, you know, it's been geared yep, towards yeah. white men, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it could be very easily argued that although she is quite clearly a very, very capable uh, film uh, a filmmaker, she might. Would, the question is, would she have ever even had that shot unless she was actually? You know what I mean? Like it's. It, and I'm not saying like I know that's a very charged thing to say. I think that for sure, for sure, she's clearly she's she's she didn't make those movies. James didn't make those movies. She did, and they're amazing. But the question is, she was in a position that a lot of other people might not have had to be able to try to jump into that little very difficult very very um not super tolerant um um position of being able to like make a, make a movie you know so it's well, it and, and this, is, this is not to say that there aren't great female directors are out there no. of course of course there are for sure it's just that it's been geared i mean we all know this has just been geared against women and people of color for for a long time yep. now. and that's thankfully that's changing yeah you know? so yeah yeah, we will definitely need to bring a woman director to yeah because right now we're basically just three straight white dude trying to answer this question <laughs> yeah, and we, we, true however we approach it it'll be a disservice to yeah, to, yeah. to this question so yeah, yeah. but that's definitely one that we could that we should keep for if you can uh, get Brenda to speak that would be fucking awesome she's awesome let's let, let, let's do it we'll hunt her down and to to come to this district Kristen Lester. Kristen Lester directed Pearl I worked with her like she was my director uh and I'm really close with her she's a great she's gonna be an awesome she's developing a film now Pixar she's really awesome I love her yeah it would be good to get the let's perspective like see like how they feel from their perspective is it is the pendulum swinging or is that just a perception yeah. that maybe some of us have right I think it would be yeah. key because I mean the people are going to feel good the question. most of the people in that seat right yeah, good idea. We should definitely try. We've been wanting to have um, to touch more a little bit on um, on just trying to mix up the perspectives a little bit um, with regards to just filmmaking and, and like what is it like being a you know a woman in the game industry? What is it like to be you know someone in a marginalized community in 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 the film industry? Like, I think we should start doing a lot more of that. Um, I think we have probably well, we're actually already we're, it, it, we got five minutes left technically. I was going to ask uh, one more question here that um, that Van Emmeter put, and then I was going to try to squeeze one in from um, from our backlog. I'm good to go. Left. So whatever you guys want. Okay. So this question is from Van Emmeter, who also happens to be our community manager. Surprise, surprise. There he is. He's always offering good questions. Uh, very personal question here. I'm releasing a children's book soon because I'm hungry to start producing my own stories, and it's already picked up attention from a producer to turn it into a series. That's fun. An animation studio wanted to invest a small amount of uh, of, five, of specifically five thousand dollars to develop a story. That's not a ton of money to do that, but uh, hold on, I have to. Oh man, I hate it when this happens. I can never see it. Just read it from the chat. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do. And the project would have been tied to them. I didn't think oh, they were capable of achieving the visual style of the project, so declining the offer wasn't right in doing this. Um, hmm. 5K. So they wanted to own your property for five thousand dollars. Yeah, it seems a little. <laughs> this is the right thing. But I get, I get why it's nerve wracking because you're like, oh my god, this could be. I, this could put me on the map, right? Yeah. But you don't want to get put on the map by getting taken taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, the project would have been tied to them. When you say tied to them, what do you mean that they would just option it? I mean, I need sort of more information. Like, mm. 
would they be they wanted to develop it for further funding okay that's fine i'm doing that same thing right now were they saying they would own it or did they, they have they, first right of refusal or something like that maybe yeah because like any development like i'm in a development deal for that beaver short that i was talking about is actually i'm developing that into a series oh, and funny. i've tied myself to um the operating room for 18 months they have they have total rights to shop it around. We're partnered mm. up. There's no money involved. There's no, there's not even $5,000 involved right now. There's yeah. no money involved, but we're trying to s sell it together as a team. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think the overall question is if you have a gut feeling that you don't think it's the right uh, uh, partner to go into business and develop the, 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 the story, uh, sh should you still do it because you might miss the opportunity of having at least a studio that is interested to what you're you're doing. Yeah, I mean, there is this thing about momentum. So, you know, a lot of times people will use, well, I got an offer from this. You know, currently Studio X is interested in developing this and animating this and going out for funding. And, you know, I'm just looking around to make sure that I've got the best offer. Um, that's one way of doing doing that. Um, in if they were going to be the, tied to the people that were going to animate it and you didn't have confidence that they'd be able to animate it yeah it's probably good that you walked away just like david's saying like trust your gut five thousand dollars doesn't seem like a lot of money for them to be able to reserve any kind of right to be honest it's like yeah. it's kind of a silly it's silly yeah but, yeah it, it, let's put it this way if if the if if that studio was willing to put money up and they were interested then there's a good chance that somebody else else will be as well and hopefully we'll take it a bit more seriously and give you a better offer because i mean what's the rush right if you got a good idea and you're sitting on it you're developing it it's just going to keep getting better theoretically so well there's there's a thing where you get your idea out there and people know about it and then it's hot and then after a while it's like oh we already heard about that and they don't even want to look at it anymore so there's a timing thing i get it like there's a lot there's i mean that's a much longer conversation about that type of timing, but you probably did the, if your gut said no, then you, I think you probably did the right thing. Trust your gut. Next question. This question was sent to us beforehand. Um, and it's, uh, what is your, it's from let's animate Raul. What is your motivation for staying creative? Your specific trick? What do you do? My, my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Um, motivation for staying creative. Um, you mean how do I how do I stay creative? Like what what? He, he's uh, unfortunately not there to clarify yeah, he's, the the, he's the, not the, the question. Okay. Let's just I feel myself that being creative takes a lot of energy. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you're it, it it takes a lot of brain power, and sometimes you might be just like you know what I'm. I'm just going to take a simple job that is well paid, but I'm going to you know, basically being told of what doing. So what is the drive to push you to develop those projects, to develop those characters, those story, uh, and not for a couple of weeks, for years, even if, if none of those projects is green light, is green lit yet? Well, no one's going to like this answer because it's not the answer that I would want to hear. But I literally feel worse not doing it than doing it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's as simple as that. Like, yeah. I enjoy the... The pain of the creative process. So, I mean, I'm going broke right now trying to start my own company. It's, it's insane. Like, don't look up to me. I'm not saying anybody is, but don't, because I'm going broke trying to you, start. You need a glass of scotch now as you are. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, no, I mean, 
for, yeah, for me, it was just an issue of, um, it's just an issue that I'm driven to do it and it's just in my DNA and I've always yeah. been driven to do it and it sucks because I think there's, there's something to following your gut, following the thing that you enjoy. Like when I was trying to write for Pixar, I, oh, I'm going to write this script. I'm going to write this thing because I think Pixar is going to enjoy it. It's going to be a Pixar film. I was miserable. Mm -hmm. When I started writing about the stuff I like, D&D and sci-fi and stuff that I knew that Pixar would never make, um, then I started becoming really happy because I'm, I was basically focusing on my own creative needs, the things that I wanted to do and I wanted to see. I'd say, you know, all you need for motivation is just do the stuff that you like. And... If you don't know what you like yet, watch a fucking shitload of movies. Look at your own life. Like maybe you play soccer and like you're really passionate about that. Just make a film about soccer. Mm -hmm. yeah, you like soccer. Just make the things you like. That's it. It's as simple as that. Or go try to work for a company that they work on things that you know you're going to like. So you can. Yeah, or, or be... Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was like your own personal projects, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, and don't and don't stay at a company if you if you feel like it's like it's not you know if you're not creatively inspired by the work that you're doing, then go somewhere that you will be. Yeah. Life is too short to sit there like grinding and trying to be creative in a non-creative environment that you're not excited by. That's that's crazy. Well, I think that if if you're lacking motivation, it's a great sign that you're yeah. not maybe not doing what you should be doing because yeah. when you follow your your natural passion it's not go always going to be fun it's no. not going to be easy it's not going to be a walk in the park mm. it can be brutal and difficult but you're naturally remain motivated being motivated it's not something that you will have to force yourself to be it's going to be for free motivation is provided for free if you follow your passion doesn't mean that it's going to be fun and easy that's that's not part of the deal you okay. Yeah, we got one last one, and then we'll we'll cut you loose there, Dave. Okay. Um, let's see. Drop it right one. here. <laughs> so I oh, think I was don't say that. I won't let you go. I, I talk too much. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it would be pretty boring if we brought people on the show that didn't like to talk. It would be pretty awkward. Let me tell you that right now. You make it easy. Present themselves when they are new to the industry. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a perfect question. Yeah. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> well, uh, it, it it didn't turn out too bad for you, <laughs> even wow. if you're maybe not the textbook example of how <laughs> we we might advise some to present themselves when they're but, starting. You know, it could have. You know, maybe if I was more developed as a person, um, you know, things would have been easier for me. Things were very hard for me for a long time. So, you know, I think. My philosophy now is like treat people with respect. Um, if you want respect, treat people with respect. <laughs> if you want friends, be a friend. If you want to be creative, be creative. Like, you know, um, always put your best foot forward. Um, try to be curious. Um, be honest. Honesty is your best friend because if you're honest and there's something that doesn't work when you're presenting yourself in the industry, uh, that job probably wasn't right for you. You know, don't try and, you know, don't try and force yourself. If you're a round peg, don't try and force yourself into a square hole. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, being kind, being honest. 
Um, and a healthy dose of conviction is not so bad. I mean, clearly that worked out well for you, right? I mean, you kind of stuck to your guns, and it, it seems like as you matured in the industry, you also learned the matured. opposite side of that. In the, <laughs> in the, in, in, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the most offensive air quotes ever, right there. The, I think that the, um, you know, obviously. It sounds like you, like you said, like you, you learn to play better with the people in the sandbox, right? Like the collaborate. So you, you've, you've struck by what, by the sounds of it, a nice, interesting balance between conviction and collaboration, which I said, I think any leader creatively needs to be able to do, because if, if there's no conviction, then things don't get done. And there's no, there's no force pushing in a direction and giving a, a, a good vision for everyone to sort of jump on board and follow. But of course, at the same time, for people to enjoy working with you, you do need to be malleable in some ways, you know, so it's, it's, a, I'm sure it's a delicate balance, but conviction is not a bad thing. As long as you can back well, it up. You know, you have to know what you have to know what you want know what you're after but there's also some a lot of searching for it so yeah. be open to your team be open totally. to people around you and yep. good ideas can come from anywhere um yeah. they usually don't just come from anywhere they come from like your trusted confidants but um you know just be open yeah yeah you'll be surprised by people people will pleasantly surprise you with what they can bring to the table if you listen to them oh yeah that's so true it's crazy. And it's, 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 it's sad to see so many people in leadership positions that are like allergic to the idea, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what that is every time you see like a leader that's not willing to listen or, 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 or hear out ideas, it's just insecurity. I mean, yeah. there's so many leaders out there who are super insecure and it takes years to get comfortable in your skin. So for a while I had to just fake it. Like being, you know, I'm a fairly empathetic person. But there's just times where I just say this one thing about supervising. Um, like I was co-supervising with somebody and they're like, Jesus Christ, Dave, you tell people good job like 8,000 times a day. And like, I'm like, yeah, I probably say it 30 or 40 times a day. But that person on our 150 person crew hasn't heard a compliment in two weeks and they're fucking working their ass off. So, yeah. <laughs> Fucking, fucking appreciate people's work, you know, yeah. don't like go soft on them if this stuff's not working, but uh, like, it's, it's as important to say, this is working in a shot and this is great. It's more important to say that than what's not working. Mm. Like people, like bad supervisors, they go down the list of all the shit that's wrong. Cause that's all they can see is the shit that's wrong. The stuff that really works, you got to highlight that. So everybody can see like, oh man, mm. look what this person's doing here yeah. on this acting choice or this you know oh look at this really interesting scramble that's going whatever it is like you have to like call that stuff out so yeah. it's just, you know you have to be good to people that's that's the thing <laughs> be don't good be a piece of shit or a dick yeah uh, except uh, for the except for the shitheads then then, then you <laughs> <laughs> let them hang themselves with the rope that they fucking we, we, we've, we've kind of turned a little bit uh, around this dark. But uh, I'm tempted to finish by asking you a question that we asked to uh, Andrew Gordon when he was uh, coming, oh, when we came to his stream, uh, which was, what would today Dave Mullins tell uh, junior Dave Mullins when he started? What is the one piece of advice that you could provide him if it was only one that might help him in the, uh, the beginning of his, of his career? I usually have a quick answer to this because um, I've, I've been asked this before. 
That's perfect that you don't remember. That's even better. I, I don't. Um, what would I tell myself? I did so many things wrong, so it's hard to pick one thing. <laughs> um, I mean, I would just say, I'd probably just say to myself, just spend more time listening and less time talking. I, I would give myself that advice right now. <laughs> Brent, is it me or I think that it's exactly what Andrew told us? As yeah, well? it was. Well, he said that, but he also said, he said, um, and to to take it relax a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You're not going to get chill. fired. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be yeah. okay. And if you do, it it'll be okay still. Like because he, he when he started at Pixar, he said he was like on high alert all the time. Like don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up. And he kind of was a bit of an overachiever and, and drove himself a little bit into the ground uh, yeah. because of that. So yeah, but uh, it's, hard think... to, it's hard not to do that when you're starting out because you're trying to prove. Yeah, not, sure. only, not only to everybody else, but to yourself that you can do it. And if you're really <laughs> passionate about it, yeah, I mean, yeah, try oh. and enjoy it. Just try and enjoy it. That's a really Adrian B in chat, he's got a good memory um, uh, because um, he wrote. It's it, true. It, yeah, it was it was quite specifically the, the the answer because there was a story about how a bunch of the bunch of the artists or a bunch of the animators were going on a ski trip and he's like, no, no, I can't, man, I got to catch up on stuff and I'm gonna be spending the weekend working or whatever. And his advice was like, go on the ski trip. <laughs> so, I'm so just cool. gonna Andrew's a close friend of mine. I'm just gonna say Andrew never didn't go on the ski trip, so I call bullshit. <laughs> wow, it's <laughs> gonna back on the show. Let me bring him in. Just kidding. <laughs> well, Andrew knows how to have fun. I mean, he he knows how to balance balance yeah. life work. He was always better than me. It's true. I mean, I mean, let's say like he, he being, being the guy who's famous for building a fort in his own office that, you know, was part of the studio tour at one point. Clearly, yeah. that man knows how to have fun. Um, yeah. But I think he was sort of I guess maybe in his mind, maybe the perception was he might have always had no know how to fun, have fun. But maybe some of that was was an outlet for stress or like, cause he, you know, maybe inside, cause you don't know what's really going on in someone's mind. Right. We get the external version of them. Yeah. Is know. Andrew in here right now? That's yeah, awesome. no, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to bring him Ladies in. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Gordon. That's Andrew. It. Yeah. Hey, fuck you, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Dave hey, has something he wants to say to you. He um, called you quote unquote, a bullshitter. Now, I think, do you have anything you want to say about that? Andrew called me a bullshitter. No, no, no. That's what you you said. You're called bullshit on it, but I'm just, oh. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just stirring the pot at this point. So I'm, I'm, I'm working up to like this, this, uh, this boss fight that we're gonna have at some point when we bring him on the show with you. It'll be amazing. Oh, I would love to do something with Andrew. He's That'd awesome. be cool. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's a perfect time to wrap it up. Uh, we've stolen enough of your precious time. Thank you so much for Thanks, sharing guys. your energy, your stories, your insights, and um, some of that sort of raw open book style that you bring to the conversation and honestly it was a lot of fun it was i, I could tell the chat was uh, was enjoying it um oh, it was candid it was all the things it was great so thank you very Always much for that. Candid. yeah <laughs> probably too much no no it's great i love it i can't get enough of it so um enjoy the rest of your evening uh Dave. Thanks, um, david of course um yep. it's approaching your bedtime so enjoy that um i will uh, see you both around and um i'll talk to you guys soon cheers all right see you guys thank you bye, bye guys bye. It was great. Uh, that was fun. Um, that's funny that he says that he's always candid because that was my experience when I ha was in that, that that Agora roundtable. He's just he's he's so great because he just says it like the way it is. It's like whatever's on his mind, he says it, and he um, 
he uh, he's always he's a de- clearly a storyteller because it's always the way he 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 says it it's it's clearly a, a story being told from from the heart it's it's not uh it's not something that's been you know um overly engineered it's just it's just a raw life story and it's always nice to hear those because sometimes things are just there's too many filters on things and i find that's a bit of a rare thing that you have someone who's have have has has worked with some of these giants in the industry i mean he's a giant himself as far as i'm concerned having worked on those um you know being a pioneer in the the animation industry the way he had been um and having a, a chance to be an animation director on a pixar film as well as directing a short i mean it's just crazy um so I'm, I'm excited to see where he's going to go because um, it's nice to see that kind of energy being directed towards building his own thing. And I think that that, that can only be a great thing and we'll see how that goes and we'll have to kind of follow him and maybe get him back on the show um, again to talk a little bit about how those are, how that's going down the road. And hopefully he'd be into that. Um, thanks for being here, chat. It's always a pleasure to have you in the room. Um, hopefully you feel like you're in the room. I try my best to make you feel like it. It's a little hard sometimes the beginning when it's like kind of getting deep into the story. Um, still trying to get better at that sort of trying to, to break that wall down. So it feels just like as much that you're here, um, as we are, um, that was the sort of the purpose of these conversations at the beginning is to make it feel like you can all just hang out with, uh, with these amazing people that David and I bring on the show. Um, if you were have suggestions, of someone who you'd love to have us have on the show, then reach out and let us know. We can always reach out. I mean, I think we're getting to the point now where enough people know about Agora that like it wouldn't be a weird thing for us to tap certain people and they'd be like, oh yeah, I heard about you guys. That'd be kind of interesting. I'm not saying that we can get anybody on the show, but I'm, I'm, I think that um, we've proven ourselves now. We have a pretty good track record of having a lot of really amazing guests being good sports and getting on the show and just, you know, sh- you know, just, just talking, talking life and business with us that uh, I think a lot of other people would love to have a little a little chance to do that too. It's like a fun little break. What, why not nerd out with a bunch of people that enjoy talking about the same things? Um, so yeah, I mean, you know where to find us. If you have suggestions, we'd, we'd be happy to chase down some people that you think would be inspiring, um, you know, on, on any level, really. And I think it's important to note that we're not just interested in people that are just going to speak, you know, have, have a very specific experience in animation. It's, I mean, yes, it's an animation related show. Um, but you know, I think, you know, I think it's fair to say that there's a, a lot of peripheral things that could be, that, that would, that would make a lot of sense. And, um, and also, it's like, we don't even have to talk about animation. I mean, I think it's some of the best conversations we've had on this show, in my opinion, have been ones that are a lot more personal and talking a little bit about just like life on this little blue planet that we all seem to be um, sort of, you know, this journey that we're all on and, and their life experiences and how they can apply to to maybe helping others that may be in, um, in, um, in similar situations. Corey Barlock from... Um, from Santa Monica Studios, that would be a very interesting conversation. That uh, that um, that man is a um, is a visionary to say the least. He has good interviews too. I've seen a few of them; they're pretty good. You don't need to give them now. I think I'm going to forget them if you send them to me now. I think what you need to do is, um, you know, use you know Instagram. Uh, maybe we can actually get Scott. I don't know if Scott's still around. Scott, you still here? Usually, he's lingering in the shadows. But um, if Scott's here, maybe we can send out a little Instagram just to kind of um, just a just a specific one that's about this. You know, you can react to and send your suggestions to. Oh, look at that man, fan animator, always there taking the notes. So yeah, but I mean, it'd be nice to kind of put a blast out there for other people who might not have been here tonight to to get a chance to have someone you know drop a name in a hat 
we can maybe try to chase it down. We have still a lot of uh, a decent track or a decent uh, roadmap of, of more guests coming in. Uh, but um, eventually we're going to get to the point where um, we're, we're going to probably, you know, we're going to be looking for suggestions for sure. So if you got something in mind, write it down and make sure that you uh, send them to us when it's, when the time is right. Um, as for conversations moving forward, we do have um, like, what are the next things on, on the, on the list? So obviously we have our Sunday night public reviews that are happening. It happens every 10 30 PM on, uh, sorry, every Sunday at 10, 10 30 PM Eastern standard. Um, you can always uh, sign up for that, try to get your stuff uh, reviewed by, fr uh, for, uh, for free um, on our, our, uh, our weekly uh, live review session on Twitch. It's on my Twitch channel, uh, which is um, um, the, my, my Twitch channel is over underscore animated. That's where uh, we are doing those. We are going to be probably mixing it up a little bit soon and bringing other people into the same kind of format. So uh, for now, we're still just kind of having fun with it and um, kind of thank you, Scott. That is the form that you would have to fill out if you're interested in having your work reviewed. We have our QA, uh, Q&A um, um, conversations. David and I would do that every Tuesday evening. Um, that's at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every th every Tuesday, or in, unless unless we say otherwise. But typically, it's at 9. And then we um, have, um, I think, another conversation next week. Let me just check. I'll have it up here. And that one is next conversation on the list here is um, it is next week. It's the 14th, which is uh, a Tuesday. Um, and that is, I oh, know that's Tuesday is, is Q and a, sorry. I meant it's, it's Wednesday, the 15th of September at 3 PM. And that's with um, um, Kirby Atkins. Um, and um, he's the, um, the, you know, the, the, he's now the head of development um, and director at Brazen Animation. Um, so I don't actually know a ton about um, uh, Kirby, but um, um, if you wanted to learn more about that, uh, that particular conversation, you can always go over to head, uh, head over to the live site and uh, get the, uh, the lowdown on that. Um, but uh, anybody we've had on the show has always been a very interesting um, person to come and hang out with and, and, uh, and uh, listen to. So uh, I'm sure that's going to be an amazing conversation too. So we'll see you all hopefully on the next one. Uh, otherwise, have a wonderful evening and a wonderful rest of your week. And um, stay animated. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects, and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs, and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.